You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole where Ruby is serving up the great drinks, uh, blue milk and Corellian brandy for everyone as John and I are here for another great (laughs) supplemental. Uh, We've got some fun things to talk about. Uh, There have been a lot of books coming out about the journey to the Force Awakens. But there was also a comic book series that came out, and John and I wanted to get an opportunity to get together to talk about that. Ruby was nice enough to uh, open up the 602 Club a little bit late or earlier. I don't know. We we had daylight savings time, so we're all screwy. Yeah. uh... (laughs) Intergalactic savings time. Yeah, exactly. That's what it was. Uh, It threw me off all day. I don't know about you. Oh, Um, yeah. Because I kept looking at the car, and it was wrong, and then I'd look at my phone, and I'd, I I was like, why <laughs> yeah. is the time wrong? Is my phone wrong? Well, anyway. So, uh, but yeah, so John, um, glad you're here in the, in the 602 yeah, Club. Yeah, glad to I be think, here, uh, man. Yeah. It's um, always a good time. Well, and I, I wanted to mention, I, I can't remember, I, but you know, uh, recently you just had a, a brand new baby, and so life is changed a little bit for you so now you have three instead of just two and so that's the congratulations <laughs> thank you building my own jedi order on this end so <laughs> you know well that's yeah that's the way and if they're anything like you obviously they're going to be strong with the midichlorians and the force so uh, uh, the yeah. the one that's now the middle child i think is the one i have to keep an eye on she could go all kylo ren on me so I gotta keep oh. an eye on her. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. Well, before we jump into Shattered Empire and in this supplemental, I want to remind everybody that the Six O Two Club is a part of Trek FM. We are on iTunes at iTunes.com/slash Trek FM. We're a feature provider there on iTunes, and you can find all of our different shows covering every single part of Star Trek. And I I mean that literally. I mean, every single show is covered, as well as behind the scenes, creatives behind Star Trek, their work outside of Star Trek, philosophy of Star Trek, different views. I mean, everything is covered. And then, of course, the 602 Club. So we have, as Christopher Jones liked to say, beyond. Yeah, beyond is a very good way to put it. (laughs) I think so. And uh, I want to say uh, really quick, congratulations to both uh, you and and our uh, our, our, our founding father of Trek FM on uh, the recent orb uh, with, with Michael Dorn. It, it's a, if anybody is listening to this that has not listened to the orb recently, go back and listen to the last couple of episodes because they have been fantastic uh, interviews. Thank you very much. I, we have uh, been very blessed on the orb in the last two weeks to have gotten the chance to talk to Aaron Eisenberg, who played Nog, and then, mm-hmm. of course, as you said, uh, talking to Michael Dorn about his time on Deep Space Nine, as well as uh, his Indiegogo campaign, Eternity. So yeah. it's just been a blast. And then, of course, our friends over in Earl Grey, our Next Generation show, got a chance to talk to Marina Sirtis about the same thing. So very exciting things for the network recently and you can find yeah. all of these shows at itunes.com slash trek fm as well as our website at trek.fm we're on 
Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm, and we're also on Twitter at trekfm, and you can find all of the shows there and us tweeting about the show. So get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you, and we hope that you'll check out everything that we have for you here at Trek FM. So, John, we have this comic, and we have already talked together. We, we talked about three smaller books written for the younger age group. Uh, and one of those books was called Smuggler's Run, and it was written by Greg Rucka, and that one was about Han and Chewie mm-hmm. uh, between the films. So that, I think that actually took place between episode four and five. Yeah. Well, Greg Rucka's been pretty busy because uh, <laughs> he is also the author of, of Shattered Empire, and yeah. you know it's been so interesting walking through this journey to The Force Awakens because uh, I think... I would say 90% of what we have read has been pretty excellent. Um, we both talked yeah. about Aftermath with uh, Darren and Bruce and found some things lacking here. But mm-hmm. the the most interesting thing for me, and, 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 and we put this show together, together. Uh, you, you did most of the outline, actually, and uh, I really appreciate that. But besides that, there's this great point that you make about... Shattered Empire literally is the aftermath of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Because not only does Return of the Jedi play a part in the very first comic, but we actually start during the Battle of Endor. Yeah. So that things are the literal aftermath. I wanted to to get your thoughts about how does this play? I mean, because we've talked a lot off... off um, well, we've talked on the other side of the bar pretty much yeah. about this. And I wanted to get your thoughts about what you thought. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts of this whole aftermath and how this one feels like the book maybe should have been. I don't know. what what it, When you're reading the comic, what first came to mind, especially as you jumped right into issue one? Well, the, I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right that when you read this comic, especially when it just starts right off, and it's always difficult to play the expectation game because it's unfair in a lot of ways, especially to an author who's coming in to yeah, a well-established true. you know universe and everything. And so I'm I'm not in the game of beating up on aftermath. We all know what we all thought of it, and you know each person ha- has given their views, like you said er- on an earlier six oh two. But the the difficult thing is right in the very first issue of the Shattered Empire series, when you first open it, you see what you expected, which was the direct result and playing out of the threads of the destruction of the second Death Star. And everybody's reaction in that first wave, you know, the the, the first uh, wave of celebration, of happiness, but also of their own expectations. It deals very much with a character we have never met before and putting them into the action so that they are instantly recognizably related to the main characters and what's going on. So without focusing on the main characters, it gives us the story beats that fill in what we wanted to see about the main characters. And that's just in the first issue. And it it really, I feel, 
would have made a better uh, debut effort for the new series. It, because this being a comic book and a comic book series and a limited series at that, it has to make jumps in time and leave some gaps while it's filling in other gaps. And I really, really would have wished to see this turned into a whole novel. Whereas my reaction with Aftermath was I got a couple of story beats that I liked and the rest of it was meh, you know? So, I mean, that's really the impression of of the comic series for me. On top of that, the journey to The Force Awakens leads me to believe that something important to The Force Awakens is going to happen. Mm. And there are uh, a few minor points that I got from Aftermath that I felt where I could see where the connections might come in. But this one immediately gives us the connection in the first issue. The Damarins. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are Poe's parents, and we are meeting them in the action and seeing how they are a part of the rebellion during the time of, of Endor and its aftermath. Yeah. And I think that was the thing that really jumped out for me is that this book is called Shattered Empire, this this series. Why aren't those flipped? Right. This should be called Aftermath, and Shattered Empire should be the name of that uh, book that we got by Wendig, because that's really what that book is really about. It, it's really more about the Shattered Empire, yeah. and the Empire trying to coalesce, find its way again. And this book is really about the Aftermath of you know what happened after Return of the Jedi for the you know the rebellion obviously aftermath does work for you know the the book that Wendig wrote but when you're reading this this feels more like aftermath again the other one feels more like shattered empire yeah and so it was just an interesting thing it's like i feel like they got their titles wrong <laughs> no i i i think i think that's a fair comment and i i think that um you know, would I have, I mean, obviously, you know, a rose by any other name would smell the same uh, to, you know, crib and mangle a line from uh, from a very famous author in the past. But I, I think you're right that the titles do, it's important to title things correctly. And I, I think, I do think that the title Aftermath fits this series better than Shattered Empire. Well, and and it's interesting because there there are only small bits about the Empire here, and and the parts that we get, the biggest ones are that the Emperor did have a contingency plan for if somehow he was destroyed or died or uh, to further on his, his legacy. I mean, he basically creates a scorched earth policy which is known as Cinder, to yeah. take care of of places that he really wants to see utterly destroyed. And sure. so, you know, on the other side, though the majority of these books take place with that rebellion aspect and the aftermath for them of dealing with their expectations not being met. Yeah, and I and I think also to speak to that point is with Shattered Empire, um, you very much get the sense that, and I, I if they had had more time, if this had been 
maybe a six-issue series, or if this had been a novel, you very much get the sense that they're not prepared for, uh, you know, for what happens when the empire when they think they've beaten the empire. Like you very much get the sense that everybody's and they revisit this a couple of times through the comics, where people are kind of caught flat-footed, where they're like, "Wait a minute, I I thought we were done fighting. I thought we won." And it, you know, it, basically the 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 big theme is it's not that simple. And to speak to to your point about Operation Cinder, how perfectly in keeping with Palpatine's uh, philosophies of life and death and vengeance and all of those things is it for him to have a, a special contingency plan that goes out to the loyal admirals and says, you know, hey, you know what, you may have heard some things, but uh, kill everyone. Just wipe them all, you know, wipe them out. All of them. Exactly. There you go. (laughs) Well, and the fact that one of the biggest parts of Operation Cinder is targeting Naboo. And in some ways, I feel like his targeting of Naboo is to wipe out anybody who may have known him as Palpatine before, you know, he ascended to the emperorship uh to make sure that his legacy of being nothing but the emperor is all that lasts Hmm. Uh, and and his retribution against having to have come from anywhere you know you can almost feel that that he resents that he had to come from somewhere especially anywhere even as is good as Naboo was and beautiful as it was I almost you know what I'm saying like the psychology of the character of Palpatine interesting no I I think I think it's a very interesting read I do I I think it's valid I think it's a very interesting read I took it um in a different uh sense of it was he knew if he was dead that I mean because think about it with the with the Sith rule of two what if Vader made the play and assassinates Palpatine Palpatine has things set up in a sense, going after Naboo punishes Vader even further by wiping out the last vestiges of the woman who loved him. You know, like it has sort of that spin on it where this contingency plan exists no matter how the Emperor dies. And it exists as it's doubtful Vader even knew it existed. So Vader makes his play, Vader makes his Sith grab for power. And Palpatine's orders go out and is like, hey, uh, you know, you may have heard I'm dead. Kill them all. You know? Yeah. And yeah. so he sort of, in, in a sense, you can almost get this idea. And this ties in a little bit to the the little tidbit we got in Aftermath of the Empire just being filled with the type of people that would turn on each other so easily. They wouldn't necessarily be mm-hmm. a cohesive force. And so the emperor, if I die, I'm taking you all with me and you're all just going to fight and wipe each other out because I can't, I don't want to envision a galaxy where I'm not in charge. And so everybody's just going to be miserable if I'm dead. Yeah, no, I think that that's a great added reading. I, just the way that that's all coming together and I all, all of that just shows you how devious and just nasty and evil palpatine really was oh yeah you know like oh oh i'm gonna die i can't have it well this is why you can't have nice things either because (laughs) i've screwed you all (laughs) you know like uh even beyond the grave he's he's finding ways to ruin the galaxy and to make sure that no one 
gets to experience what he's experienced in the way that he's experienced it. Right. You know, uh, not even Vader. Um, not even, and unless, and this is my guess, unless it was specifically his hand-picked person. And maybe, you know, if Vader hadn't ended up more machine than mm. man, he might not have had these plans because he would have felt more comfortable leaving the galaxy and not more comfortable, but in a sense, you know, when the Sith rule of two finally came down and, and Anakin had betrayed him and taken over, he would have felt more comfortable. My guess is, is that he doesn't because it's it's Vader, and Vader isn't as powerful as he could have been if, you know, he hadn't lost part of his connection with the Force because so much of his him is machine now. But see, the, this in and of itself makes it so intriguing now to see the bit in uh, the the final trailer for The Force Awakens, that Kylo Ren is very obviously devoted to Vader, not to Palpatine, and yes. so his devotion to Vader maybe maybe the I whole will finish what you have started right maybe the whole maybe the whole devotion to Vader ties into the Operation Cinder thing, where the mm, that could be the First yeah. Order finds out about it and they're like, we just had a crappy leader. If Vader had been in charge, we'd have been great. Let's follow his example, because Vader was always yeah. a great leader of men and inspirer of troops. I see the thing is this is this I think and again I'm not I don't want to get into the aftermath kicking game but compare the sort of thought processes and conversation we're having and the way we're unpacking things compared to the the conversation we had with aftermath and I promise I'm not going to keep going back to it but the fact that this comic book series these four issues we're sitting here and we're unpacking so much from this one tiny plot detail versus w what has come before. Like, I think that speaks volumes to the way that the story beats are treated and the way the story unfolds in this series. I mean, could we just get a T-shirt that says Greg Rucka is my master? Dude, I'll you tell know, you what, You had what, those, he's, he... Lucas is my master, <laughs> Joss Whedon is my master, but I feel like Greg Rucka, like Dave Filoni gets yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. It, it, because even even just um, the way the dialogue works mm. here, all, all throughout the issues, I, yeah. I, I wrote that in my notes as I was rereading these, is that the, the dialogue feels Star Wars-y. There's some points yeah. where it's almost like that fun Star Wars cheese dialogue uh, in, in some of the places. Uh, the way that um, Leia and the Queen of Naboo and Shara are talking to each other when they're flying in the Naboo fighters mm -hmm. uh, is really, really interesting. And again, it, there's some some of that dialogue. It, it has that Star Wars-y feel where it's like, if the right actor says this, it comes across perfectly. So yeah. I can hear Carrie Fisher l giving these lines and it's just perfect, you know? You, you know who he really nails in terms of getting the voice? And I, I have to really give him a lot of credit for this is Lando. Lando's moments yeah, in this he series does. are right. fantastic. Uh, like right from the get-go when they're at the final, when, when they're at the celebration in the Ewok village and Lando starts hitting on, uh, on, on uh, let's just call her Poe Dameron's mom. Yeah. But like, and as she's walking away, like they have the little word bubbles and it's Han and Lando talking. It's like, you never quit, do you? Never, my friend. I appreciate beauty or something like that. It's like, yeah, okay. I can, I can totally see this. This is... You're right. This is Star Warsy dialogue and feel, and, and and it gets a laugh out of you. It gets a legit laugh. 
I, w- I wanted to ask you to uh, kind of moving on a little bit the, the timing and the sequencing obviously um there's time between the issues mm-hmm. and it's kind of nice because they'll give you you know 10 months after the the fall the, the destruction of the death star you know 22 months and all this kind of letting you know how much time's taking place so we start at the escape from the death star with luke mm-hmm. uh as everything's coming to an, a head and, and that sequence from return of the jedi that's how the the first issue starts and then we end with luke as well and then all of these things happen in between um how does the sequencing work for you did it did it work to have it start with you know right in the throes of return of the jedi you know putting you back in did did it feel like oh you're wasting pages or did it was did you feel that was needed i i felt it was needed because i felt immediately like um like these new characters that we're meeting are vital um and uh, like i to start in that moment to start where the the fleet where the battle basically turns i think is extremely important because how better to connect with the de- how better to connect with the desired audience than to have that moment like everybody remembers that battle and it's like and here you go and I, the way that it's sequenced the way that uh rucka puts everybody into the action is uh perfect because you are much like much like uh those very interesting moments in lost stars you know everything that's going on off screen as it were and you're seeing it all from somebody else's perspective and it all works it flows up to and including uh, you know, this isn't. Yeah, I are, are we doing spoiler alerts on this one? Yeah, I, I, I let's let's we'll stop here for just a second, and we've already given away some spoilers here. Spoilers. But we are going to be talking through every single issue of these comics in in, in detail, obviously. Yeah. So if you haven't read them, go get them. Uh, John and I are gonna right now recommend them to you to read yes. and then come back. Yeah, spoil- if you have, <laughs> yeah. Spoiler, spoiler alert. <laughs> we're going to we're going to be very excited about these comics right. and and we're going to recommend them to you. So we're going to recommend <laughs> them to you right now so we don't spoil them for you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we're spoil yeah. So now that we've got that out of the way, when uh he drops her into uh slipping in behind Luke and saving him as he escapes the Death Star, it really does work. It's perfect because you can have in your mind playing, you know, the, the music is Lando's rocketing out of the death star and Luke's coming out. And then, you know, she drops right in to shoot the tie fighters off his tail and everything. Like it works, it flows perfectly. And I think that once it sells you on that sequencing of events, for me, I buy everything else that it gives me in terms of timeline for the rest of the series, because he obviously worked very hard to make sure because he knows everybody's going to go run to their DVD player and turn on the movie and be like, okay, could it work like this? Can I see this happening? And it does. It works. There's no cheat. Well, and what's great, too, is the fact that, you know, setting it here, uh, Shara is going to be a part of the Green Squadron. She is an A-wing pilot. 
And there were so many different squadrons that they had by that point of Return of the Jedi. It's a much bigger fleet that they have. It's the entire fleet going in on this this run for Return of the Jedi. This is their last chance, you know, yeah. their last best chance to destroy everything that that uh, they've been fighting against. And so having her be a part of that, you know, when you're seeing all those ships whiz around, now you're like, oh, I wonder which one is Shara's, you know, uh, yeah. because. It it, it it makes it feel realistic, and it is important because these are the characters that they're really using to introduce the rest of this storyline to you. Yeah. Because they're giving us the story of where Poe comes from. And right. I, it's interesting because we've seen very little of him in the previews, but he seems like he's going to be a really important person uh, if his parents deserve an entire comic series revolved around how they have, you know, actively done things to help save Han's life, Leia's life, l- been there to help Luke out in a tough situation. I mean, big deal for these guys. Well, and it also, I, first and foremost, I, I'm glad you mentioned Green Squadron because uh, when I was growing up, the A-Wing, it, it still is my my favorite ship of the fleet. And uh, anybody piloting an A-wing, they're they're obviously a number one best kind of pilot you're ever going to find. <laughs> um, but number two, uh, to to speak to the, you know, forming Poe, if he's born of these people, like you said, that have had an integral role, there's also a mention in Moving Target about Poe, a passing reference where Leia said Leia mentions his devotion to the cause, as it were. And if these are his parents, obviously I can see why he has that devotion to the cause. Because either these are two people who were in the thick of things in, you know, to to get the the alliance moving along and get it to its victory and survive the aftermath. I can see why somebody growing up in that household would be completely devoted to the idea of what motivated this rebellion and what motivated the um the ideals of what they wanted to establish after the empire. Not only that, but you can also see why the Damrons would be so close with somebody like Leia. Like why mm. Poe, she mentions in that in that mm. little tidbit there in Moving Target that he's on an important mission for her. Mm-hmm. And so why she would trust him uh, because both Damarins have been intricately involved with General Solo, mm-hmm. Leia Organa, and of course Luke Skywalker. Yeah, and I think they have earned the trust of all three of those main characters, and therefore it's it's um it's a really neat way to be able to see that these are important characters, and and this is why their son is going to be important as well. Um, and, and like you said, they really are people that believe in the cause. You know, Shara here, the whole thing is that her squadron commander is ushering her out of the service, not because she's done a bad job, but because he sees the toll it's taking on the marriage and the family that mm-hmm. doesn't get to be together. And if, and this is one of the coolest parts about this, is the whole thing is that why have we been fighting this rebellion? We've been fighting this rebellion so we can grow up in a world 
and in a galaxy with freedom, free from fear, we can raise our families and we can find a little peace. And that that's that squadron commander recognizes we need good families to raise other good kids so yeah. that we can continue if we need to because as this shows this shattered empire is going to continue to be a thorn in our side and this may go on longer than we thought it was going to mm -hmm. so well, I, I think that's really interesting well and there's an interplay with luke that supports that where i i think he also says you know what's the point of fighting if we can't get the lives we wanted that, that we thought oh, yeah, we were fighting yeah. for and i think personally and th this ties into my own theory of what happens to Luke um, is that Luke has re basically retired by the time Force Awakens comes around. And I think that that line here in this series, you know, that interplay he has very much speaks to, you know, Luke became a Jedi. And once he becomes the full Jedi that he's supposed to be, he realizes it's not about being a warrior. And so when the war is over, he wants to go be a Jedi. He doesn't want to continue being a, uh, you know, a general. He doesn't want what his father wanted, which was, you know, the excitement and action of being a leader of men into battle to fight everything. He wants to go off and lead the Jedi way and let the galaxy work out the way that it, that it needs to. I mean, I, that's my own theory about Luke, but I, I would say that this little sliver of Luke supports that idea um, for for the path that he's going to be going on, his own journey to The Force Awakens, as it were. Mm. Well, we'll put a pin in that, and okay. we'll talk about yeah. Luke a little bit more later on, because I definitely think he deserves to be talked about. But sure. um, I wanted to just go back a little bit, because in what we had been talking about, about the transitions and the time placement here uh you know escaping the death star and how that flowed together we really got into talking about the dameron's and i thought that this again and and i'm not going to continue either knocking aftermath but i i did think that we would get some more obvious links to the force awakens mm -hmm. and so when i when i first opened this comic i got the first issue and i'm reading through it i i think i actually did text you and it was something along the lines and what right the Dameron's? like seriously like that yeah. like, why I, I couldn't believe that they were telling this story in a comic book form mm -hmm. when i feel like their story and all of the stories they're telling here really do deserve uh, and and no no offense to anybody and i i don't want you to hear this at all there's no offense meant that this should be a novel and not a comic book and and it, the right. only knock about the comic book is that it's not longer there's not more issues right that the, it doesn't yeah. get to get in a little more depth that's the only issue i have with it <laughs> yeah yeah it, you're, you're absolutely right it it, it is an, i'm a huge fan of of comic books and the, the I still have my original Marvel comics run and that you know that's another bit of praise that I'll throw on it is that this this feels and is paced like uh the comic books of the old uh you know Williamson uh Goodwin era uh you know that Marvel had back in the 80s um and you know 
so you're you're right. It, it's not a knock. It, I do think it should have been a longer series, though, um, because it it definitely. I mean, this you know we know that that the authors, in a lot of cases, were given story beats. Um, I forget in whose interview uh, I read that, but the authors were given story beats, and they said you have to tell this, you have to do this. And then you have to, you know, get them from these points to these points. But, you know, everything else is sort of, you know, up to you. And I, I almost wonder, I almost have a sense with this that because this was the comic book, by, by some sort of miracle, some of the, the story beats that we really wanted came, just came into this. Like I, I can't, I can't tell whether this is. He was given, uh, you know, the the lean story beats and said, "Okay, you got four issues of a comic, stitch it together," or whether he was given more of a fleshed out story about, you know, uh, uh, Poe and said, "Okay, pare it down." You know, uh, do you do you? Do you understand what I'm trying to get out here? Like, was he given more of this as like this is Poe Dameron's backstory? And fill it in, or was he given? You have to make sure that, again, spoiler alert: Luke's get Luke gets the trees, and none of our heroes die, and Operation Cinder. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Where it's like, was he given just like three or four bullet points, or was he given? Here's Poe Dameron's backstory. Here's who he comes from. Now tell us about his parents. You know what or I'm saying? Was it? Hey, Greg. Um, here's some. Very, very rough outlines. What would you do with this? Right. You know, like it could have been even rougher. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's a great question. I don't I don't know. All I can say is, is that the outcome is wonderful. Uh, uh, what, what he came up with, what, what happens in these comics, I think, is is so interesting and so well done and so fun and so much what I wanted to be able to see mm -hmm. from this post-Return of the Jedi order, this post-Return of the Jedi, you know, aftermath, this is what I, I'm really wanting to get at. You know, right. um, whether you liked the old EU or not, the best part about it was is that when you read the Truce of Bakura, it was Luke, Han, and Leia. Yeah. When you read the courtship of Princess Leia, for better or worse, it was Lucan and Leia. Definitely worse. Uh, and the same thing with the Thrawn trilogy and so on. So that's that we want to see how these main characters go on. And I, I don't think that's unrealistic because even when you think about these shows like The Clone Wars or Rebels, mm -hmm. it's using the important characters to the saga to tell us something about uh, it introduces the new characters but they're always bringing in the, the important characters to the saga to help ground us and make it important you know we're, we're we've got ahsoka now in rebels yeah. uh we've had you know vader we we've had uh bail Organa, you know things like these the touch points that help us know where the the rebels fit in and, and keep mm. us grounded and and how important somehow they're going to be. And same thing, you know, with Luke and Han and Leia, I mean, 
they're at the very core of what would be happening right after Return of the Jedi because they're still so intimately involved with with right. everything. You know, Leia specifically and Han, who God, I love the fact that you actually still see Han continuing to be a jet a general. Yeah. I, you know, who is who is planning attacks and, and is intimately involved with the ground forces there for uh, you know, the, the rebellion, which is really interesting to see that, you know, uh, he um, has actually become a general. He, he's not right. just, you know, a flyboy anymore. This, this, this is somebody who is uh, well-respected now within, you know, this fledgling new republic. Uh, you know, I wanted to ask you, though, since we're talking about the, you know, the main characters and everything, Mon Mothma has not come off very well for me uh either in aftermath or now in this because it, it really feels a bit like as much as you can give her reasoning a thumbs up for okay yeah it makes sense for leia to go on this specific mission in naboo and everything like that it feels like mon mothma just is i, I don't want to use the word manipulative but she feels very i i don't know i i'm not I don't like her too much. Like it feels too much like she goes to the well of, well, you have a duty to the Republic sort of feel to her, uh, which is definitely a different casting of Mon Mothma than uh, existed in the old EU, who was this sort of like gentle elder stateswoman. Like Leia doesn't, you know, there's definite friction between her and Leia when she's asking Leia to go off. What was your sense of her for, from that interplay? Because, like, I, I came out of it because, I, I, you know, I reread it for this, you know, right beforehand and everything. My sense of her is just that, like, she's not up to the task of being the leader. Like, Leia should be the one leading the Republic now. It feels like Mon Mothma isn't up to the task of becoming the leader that the Republic needs to establish it. Uh, she's neither the leader that they need or deserve, uh, and to put it in Batman terms, right? Um, and uh, I think, I think that that's already been made. That that's one of the things that Aftermath did do was to give us a picture of her, and that you know she does want this fighting to end. She wants demilitarization and all those things. Why she's thinking that in a time when the galaxy is still completely spiraling out of control, I have no clue. It does almost seem like she's the war-weary, you know, president, to, to put it in those kind of terms so you understand, who's just not up to the task anymore. Like, it's too tired to carry on the battle. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of fire in her anymore for the the peace of the galaxy for uh, eradicating this totalitarian regime completely so that it can't come back i just i there seems to be almost an appeasement nature to her um and and especially aftermath and then here it it's i i don't know yeah i i'm with you it, it, her character is not what i thought it was going to be and maybe right. that's good maybe I'm, and i i honestly think as we're talking about this, this is going to be a huge reason why it's called the Resistance, because I think that the Resistance is going to be led by Leia, 
who is almost opposed to, at this point, the government that kind of sprang out of the rebellion. Hmm. Uh, is there going to be that that battle between the side of Mon Mothma, who is, is, is really looking to just try and build up um, peace and prosperity, and somebody, a more hawkish type person like Leia, who's seeing the danger that's still out there, especially with the First Order, um, possibly the Knights of Ren, things like that, becoming more and more prominent and realizing we have to take a stand against this. And so that's, to me, what's really interesting here because Leia continues to seem to be up to the task no matter what's asked of her. I will say that on the same side, you remember the scene um, that Mon Mothma has with Leia in Moving Target where she reminds her as well, though, we are fighting not just so that we can uh, have peace, but so that we can have family. Mm. And, And it seems in direct relation between her and Han. So... Maybe they're just trying to make Mon Mothma. All I'd say, maybe they're just trying to make her a little bit more nuanced, a more rounded character, a more interesting character than just you know the elder statesman. Um, yeah. Okay. That, I mean, that's fair. I mean, because she only gets like a scene in Return of the Jedi. You yeah. know, there's sort of a short like she's. I, I feel like she exists in Return of the Jedi just to establish the fact that Leia wasn't the leader of the rebellion; that she was a a part of the rebellion, but not the leader. So I, I I think you're right. I think that maybe calling it the resistance is, you know, because Leia can't go along with what the galaxy has become. I mean, like, I, it's an intriguing thing to sort of uh, noodle through. I mean, I, it leaves me very intrigued about what the, the status of everything is. But also, I, I would say in terms of this storyline, I mean, I, I just, I'm chomping at the bit, but like with Luke, his mission, quote unquote, has nothing to do with it. Like when we get to him in issue four, he's doing his own thing. Like he's not at all interested in going out and like negotiating with, you know, the leader of, you know, Chandrila or going off and leading a mission everywhere. He gets a pilot and he's like, Got to go save some trees. So, uh, come on, let's go do this thing. Luke's a tree hugger, right? Well, yeah, yeah, right. In but, the best way possible. It's awesome. And I'm I'm also going to say that if there is any story point that just screams to me like it was ripped out of Lucas's story notes, it's Luke going to get the the remnants of the trees that were at the Jedi Temple. There, there is something so Lucas about that storyline. Like it feels like a Clone Wars story arc, where it's like you, it really does. You know? No, you're right. It felt like a three part arc of the Clone Wars story. Right. Like I, I completely agree with you. And and I'm fascinated by the idea. I don't think, you know, I I'm I'm very intrigued. I don't think that they'll hit on it in the movie. It seems like such a a minor point that would be difficult for the casual fan to plug into with the trees and everything. But it makes me immediately curious about what on earth the emperor could be doing with those trees to preserve them and keep them in a lab. What was he doing? What on earth was he doing? Will it, you know, I, I mean, is it possible that ties into some sort of plot line that we find out about that 
he he was injecting people with a tree sap or something like you know like it it, it really is the sort of thing that for his inquisitor program yeah, yeah well not no you and I disagree about the inquisitors but that's well no 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 and I, I, I and and I don't I don't mean um. I don't mean that our disagree, and, and I don't think we, we don't really disagree because I, I agree with you. That's exactly what it could be uh, with Vader and, and being in charge of the Inquisitors. My guess was, though, you know, we've already seen, I'm, I'm just trying to connect the dots. We've sure. already seen Palpatine very interested in the Children of the Force uh, arc there uh, in the Clone Wars, uh, very interested in that. Um, it's not canon anymore, but I still think it comes from some Lucas type ideas. The, the, Darth Plagueis novel yeah. where Plagueis was very interested in the study and the science of understanding the force and how it worked in things. I could see that being mm. something where um, Palpatine is as well. But my other thought with the trees beyond all of that, which connects very well and makes it very interesting, you know, plot point. Mm -hmm. Is it just that these trees are so strong in the light side of the force that Palpatine had destroyed them and then just kept these two little saplings alive because he was using them as study um hmm. and it was a way of of keeping the the light side as small as he could make it in the galaxy that that was one of my guesses is, is not only is it for hmm. study but it that it had to do with something that these trees intrinsically had from being at the source, the, the Jedi Temple. Uh, and funny, one of the very few things that we see in the Jedi Temple that is alive, that connects with the living force. That's an interesting, So yeah. it, 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 it seems as well that they would have been imbibed with all of the force that they're surrounded by with those Jedi, too. So it, it, these have to be some pretty important trees. You know, this, this have to... This has to have been a very important tree. It sat in the courtyard there at the temple, and we saw it a couple of times in the Clone Wars. So I agree with you. This is this is, seems like Lucas sitting around with Arndt and Kazdan and, and Abrams, and he's telling them some ideas that he has. And this just happens to be one of them because I think Lucas started to think more in story arc ideas as connected with larger story plot points than just you know, three main films almost. Yeah. You I know, you know, and, and also to, to sort of piggyback on, on all of those great points about the trees. Like there's something very Lord of the Rings about it. Very Minas Tirith. Yeah. That when the definitely. trees, maybe, maybe you could even say that these saplings, if they started to bloom again or started to grow or develop in some way, they were some sort of indicator to Palpatine that there was trouble on the horizon or somebody he needed to go get, and maybe they were like, mm. oh, they were like a divining rod that he could use. Or it's like, sir, the trees are in bloom. It's like, ooh, there's somebody in the galaxy we got to find and try to turn to the dark side because Vader's Just a like chump. Just like the tree of the king. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, that's a great, I like that. I, well, and, mm. and Lucas has never been somebody who wasn't afraid to take some fun ideas from all over the place. You oh, know, yeah. Like, he's, a, he's a fan of all of these kind of mythologies. And, <laughs> you know, I could see Lucas being a, a, a fan of Tolkien. And, and Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, that's a fun idea. I'll, I'll use that, you know. So <laughs> just read, yeah, read an it. interview sometime for how salty Frank Herbert was after the original Star Wars came out. And, uh, yeah, Lu Lucas. Lucas felt free to pay homage in his own ways to certain things, sure. Well, and I think, uh, well, 
I think that really goes to that hero of a thousand faces idea where sure. Lucas has so much poured into him, I think, as a as a child, you know, and and as a and growing up into a young adult that all of the things that he loved just poured out of him. And oh, yeah. so, yeah, there are going to be allusions to something like Dune or Lord of the Rings or uh, mythologies from all over the world because it was just part of the oh, Lucas milieu. Please, if I ever if I ever make a movie, at the end credits, everybody in the audience will turn around and look at me and say, so you really liked Star Wars, huh? Yeah, yeah. it had an influence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's do that. Um. At the very end of the show, we'll do some if there were any other likes or dislikes. But I think one of the biggest questions that we've kind of danced around it all night uh, talking here at the 602 Club. And Ruby keeps looking at me going like, hashtag, where's Luke? Why aren't you talking more about Luke? <laughs> yep. Uh, and yeah. I, so the, the biggest question that I really have here. Um, well, first, I want to mention a uh, fun thing that the Dameron's end up living on Yavin 4 and that uh, yeah that was an interesting thing wasn't yeah. it yeah and they an plant the tree thing. there so um is it that where luke ends up having his first jedi academy in the old eu hmm that interesting that would seem That's to line up wouldn't it just gonna land i'm just gonna let that lie right there <laughs> just let you fans talk about that uh but the question became for me because as you said okay so luke is he doesn't seem to be part of the military structure whatsoever anymore. He separated himself out. He is a Jedi, a Jedi first and a Jedi only. And that means he's off doing Jedi things. Uh, and where does this leave us? What does this tell us about Luke after Return of the Jedi? Mm. And, and and what clues can this give us to where he might be and what he might have been doing for 30 years? It's a it's a mind-boggling question. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I think, honestly, that uh, issue four of the series puts to rest the idea that Luke turns dark. I know that that is a, that is a very popular thing to kick around. There was a whole Huffington Post thing where... I read it and my blood pressure spiked while I read it. And I was like, no, you can't, you can't take the big victory. The film's away from us guys. But um, uh, yeah, watch me eat my words. But um, the, I, I, I honestly think that this shows that Luke, as you said, he is, he's separated. He is doing Jedi things. And what's interesting is that him separating and doing Jedi things is completely separate from the way he was treated in the old EU. The old expanded universe, Luke was still in the thick of things, going out on adventures. He was getting involved with rescuing people. He was going toe-to-toe with uh, Jeruus Sabath and his own clone, um, who, you know, his hand holding the old lightsaber. We know the old lightsaber comes back, so, hey. But um, the... You know, he, he was very much still the adventurer going through, even though everybody always quotes Yoda, adventure, excitement, a Jedi craze, not these things. He was still going on all of these adventures and fighting and falling in love with Mara Jade and all of this stuff. I really think that this, this series plots out a course for him, a starting point on a course where he is, he is very much separated uh, from everything. 
and not a part of the general flow of resistance versus first order versus the Republic versus anything. He is doing the Jedi thing, and that's all uh, there is. I, I really do think that this this comic series establishes that, and I think that is the big takeaway everybody should have for you know what Luke is up to and where Luke is. There's a there's a great scene in issue four, which Rucka has said was his love letter to Luke Skywalker and, and about Luke Skywalker. And what I thought was so interesting, there's a scene in there where him and Shara are infiltrating this base to to find these trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun side note, she is porting herself off as being Alicia Beck from Smuggler's Run, mm-hmm. the Imperial agent who only has one eye. That'll come into play later in the issue. But yeah. um, so nice little continuity there for, for Rucka. But the commandant of the base says, the force is meaningless and the Jedi are extinct. And you can just hear Mark Hamill saying, you could not be more wrong. Yeah. And then he says, now R2. And R- his lightsaber comes flying out of R2 again. And, and it's it's a great another moment like the sail barge where Luke is taking on all these Imperial officers as uh, she's saving the trees and they're getting away. And uh, there's another amazing scene where, I mean, Luke is completely and utterly in control. There's yeah. no doubt about the fact that Luke has completed his training at this point and that he is the Jedi that we all thought he would be. And they throw all of these detonators at him mm-hmm. And he says, was probably the last mistake you'll make, Commandant. Right. And they all blow up, and it's so, so Luke. But, I mean... But it's it, to, to harken back to him being a Jedi, it's like what he says to Jabba. Like, with Jabba, he's like, that's the last mistake you'll ever make. The impression, the way it plays out in this, is Luke has made even further of a leap, even more development, where he's saying it very calmly... Like there's almost what you know when he said he almost you can almost feel this sense of pity uh, underneath the words where he throws the detonators back and he there's almost a subtext of not almost there is this subtext of I'm so sorry you made this choice this was really not the wisest thing you could have done you know he's not bragging he's not rubbing it in their face he's not laughing about it he's throwing the detonators back he knows how this is going to end. And he's letting them know, you know, I I was really just trying to get out of here with the trees. You could have just let this happen. Well, and there's this one panel right after that happens in the explosion. And Luke has his head bowed. Mm -hmm. And I think it speaks to what you're talking about. It's almost as Luke is frustrated and sad that he had to make that choice to save him and Shara and the trees. But that was the choice that he needed to make to do what he needed to do. And obviously these are Imperials, and so I, there's no love loss there. But the destruction of life, even when, like you said, Luke is pretty much, I could have I just gotten out of here and we all could have lived, you know. Right. Uh, it, it is a really interesting thing. And I, I, what I love here is, one, that Luke does feel so in control of of the force 
uh, of the situation. I mean, he is flying into this situation with Shara, and she says, did you have a plan? And he's like, yeah. I'm just going to trust the Force. You yeah. know, very much like, uh, and I feel like Obi-Wan saying to Anakin, you know, in, in any of the Clone Wars or, you know, do we have a plan? Nope. Well, we don't, but we'll get through it somehow. It's like we always do. It's like a trap. What's the plan? Spring the trap. Exactly. It's exactly what it felt like. Or even uh, or even Qui-Gon when they're when they have run out of power and they're at the bottom of the ocean on uh, on Naboo and Jar Jar is freaking out. And Qui-Gon's whole reaction is, yeah, things it's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. And and Jar Jar will be fine. Right. It's like. Uh, an option will present, or or when they're stranded on Tatooine, and uh, they've got no money, they've got nothing, and we got no money, right. we got nothing to serve and get us money. Our right. pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> yeah. And and Qui Gon's whole reaction is, eh, the Force will present an option. It'll show up. So I, you know, this is not the first time either where it feels like there is an echo of Qui Gon somewhere in there. And so, as everybody knows, I'm a huge Qui Gon fan. So I was. I was particularly thrilled with that. It felt like my old master was was back at uh, back at play for everybody. I, I think on the larger question of, of what is Luke going to be doing, you know, the comic series, the Star Wars comic series that's running now for Marvel has given us this uh, storyline that Luke was planning on going to Coruscant to mm. check into the temple, and he doesn't make it there, and he ends up. Nar Shaddaa and <laughs> ends up in the, the hands of a not-so-nice hut, as happens to people a lot in Star Wars. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I want them just once to break uh, <laughs> to break with tradition and have, like the, have somebody meet a hut, and it's like the nicest person they've ever met in their life. That would be awesome. Like gives them like tea and crumpets, yeah. and it's like, how can I help you out? But anyway. Uh, are you sure you don't need anything <laughs> yeah. else? Uh, no, here, you know? here's some money. Go ahead. No, yeah, have some fun. yeah. Here's some credits. Yeah. Enjoy. Um, on me. Uh, but no, it, it, this hut is a procurer of all things Jedi, mm-hmm. and he holds them in a warehouse. And and, and Luke um, opens some Jedi holocrons for him, which, again, holocrons are for Jedi or Sith, not for just anybody. No, That's a whole other story. Yeah. Um, but I, I love that storyline because it, it I think it opened Luke's eyes to what's out there for the Jedi. And so it seems to me that what Luke is doing for the next 30 some odd years really is trying to do all the research he can about the Jedi, uh, about where they come from and trying to find ways to reestablish those things where he can, like these trees. Well, and also also not make the same mistakes they did. Exactly. And and it does seem too when we talked about and we've talked about this in our prequel episodes is the Jedi being tied to a, a, a government. Right. Lucas separated Ooh. himself from the government oh, at this point. Oh, good. Yeah. Is, yeah, is not making the same mistake of creating a new Jedi order that is now tied to the New Republic. Right. No, Luke is again, he's doing his own thing. He's searching for some trees. I feel like he's going to go and try and find as much as he can about the Jedi. And maybe that's one of the things that Luke is waiting for is the right time to return the Jedi Order, the right people to come find him, 
Maybe mm. that's why he secluded himself, not because he did something terrible, but because he hasn't felt the leading and the living force to create a new order just yet. The time is not right, and maybe that's where the awakening comes in, and that's how this fits. But I do think that this does clearly show us a Luke who is committed to the force. Yeah. And and that's the kind of Luke that we all, I think, in the end, whether e, you love her or not, that's the Luke that we always loved. I loved seeing that Luke, you know? As, that's when the EU was at its best, was yeah. showing us a Luke who is committed to the Force and um, really powerful in the Force. And so I'm, I'm so excited. I, ah, oh, this, Rucka has me so excited for Luke in, you know, this new trilogy and what yeah. Luke could be doing. And again, this is a four-issue comic series, and I just feel like there is so much to unpack. There is so much in this. That, you know, look at the conversation we're having and we're just talking about one aspect like, the, the, you know, the, the Luke thing is just one aspect of it. And look at how it it has captured, you know, the the the, the fiery fan speculation of like, oh, what does this mean? Oh, what? Is, where is this going? Oh, does it tie in like this? Like that is really, uh, it, you know, if, if you didn't stop the episode earlier to go off and read the four issues you know, either immediately after we're done, what whatever it takes, it's worth the money. Just go pick up the four issues and just read them. Just get it over with. This is going to really, really inform your experience. And if you did miss this in its issue form, it'll be coming out in the graphic novel version, the trade paperback, on November 17th. Uh, so you'll be able to pick that up. But I encourage you, don't wait. Just get this on Comixology or go to your comic book store. Go find these issues. Get it on your Kindle, whatever you need to do, because it's really worth reading. So I uh, just really want to encourage you in that. John, I wanted to, uh, before we kind of wrap everything up, anything you really liked that we didn't talk about yet? Because I, I was thinking in my brain of something we hadn't talked about too much. Uh, or was there anything you disliked? Because uh, I want to be fair yeah. and balanced here. It, was there anything that, that just didn't quite work for you maybe um the way that rucka had hoped uh the i feel that uh operation cinder resolved itself too quickly on naboo and um i feel that this series should have been longer i feel like it should have been at a minimum a six issue miniseries uh i feel that there was enough material in here to power 12 issues um, and I know that that's a maxi series like the original secret wars back in the the old man day uh, like I enjoyed, but I, I do feel there were, there were plot points that needed more time to breathe. It felt like he was very conscious of the fact that he only had four issues, not a knock because they were great. I mean, you know, it, is it a knock to say should have had more to breathe? No, he was obviously told you have four issues, get this done. Um, but also something we didn't hit on um, I, that I think we should is that the artwork in this, while it's not my favorite style of comic book art, is wonderful. And I feel that the use of splash pages and panel layouts is phenomenal and uh, commendable in, in terms of comic books because I, f I really feel that it just grabs you right from the get-go. It, it uses the layout to its advantage 
and a lot like a movie um, will show you some just enough of something so that when something else pops in, it takes you by surprise. You don't see anything coming uh, the way you do with a lot of uh, a lot of comic book artists out there. I wasn't able to anticipate exactly how the page uh, or art sequence is going to resolve itself. So I really think that that is a, a something to be commended is the artwork in this series. I, I do really want to agree with you because I love the artwork here. I, I really do think it's beautiful. I love the characterization of all the characters. They're, they're recognizable enough and yet have an artistic flair to them, mm -hmm. which I think is really great. Uh, I, I especially hands down love that Luke episode. Uh, or that Luke issue, <laughs> yeah. Uh, as well as the issues where we are on Naboo and uh, we are seeing some uh, really incredible shots of Theed. Um, you're mm. seeing the um, the old Starfighters back, which was just uh, I was giddy with glee uh, to see those back in action one more time. Um, in fact, just the fact that we were back on Naboo and. Um, a couple of things. One, Leia walks into that hangar and immediately feels cold. She can still, she can still oh, feel yeah. the darkness of Darth Maul and what happened there. Yeah, uh, I thought was fantastic and gave us a little glimpse of just uh, the strength that Leia does have in the Force. So I'm very interested to see if. Maybe she's not becoming a Jedi so much, uh, you know, in, in The Force Awakens in, in that trilogy, but that she has not allowed her Force powers to diminish or not use them, but maybe she's just using them in a different way. Mm. Very excited to see that. Uh, also, really liked uh, the end of issue three, whereas uh, Kess and Shara Dameron are embracing, you see Luke. You see Han and Leia walking away together, arm in arm. Yeah, and so I think, in some ways, uh, for me, helping to again put to rest the fact that Han and Leia are still very much in love and still very much together, and um, just makes me more interested to see how their relationship does play out. Because obviously, in the new trailer, we had them uh, hugging, and her, you know, very despondent uh, as she hugs him, uh, and it is in Han's arms. So. Uh, uh, really, again, I, this, I, I'm so speechless here, John, because this comic series uh, is phenomenal. And, and, um, what I did dislike is that there are things that have to feel rushed at the end of every issue, mm -hmm. um, that I would have loved to have seen, even if maybe each issue had been 48 pages. Interesting. Uh, you know, a double issue just to give you more room so that the storylines could be longer. Sure. I think that could, I mean, you don't necessarily have to do, oh, I mean, which could also just be six issues. Uh, but uh, I, I do, uh, this, I feel like it needed more time. Uh, and maybe the reason it's only four is because they just don't want to tell us anymore about what happened with this this trinity of characters mm. before the force awakens because they're trying not to give away too much right they um, just want to give us a little taste so that we and, can uh, yeah. play the guessing game yeah and if that's the case then thank you for doing it because this is what i think we wanted 
from Aftermath, and we got it here in Shattered Empire. And as we talked about in our show about Aftermath, I think this is what we're going to get with Life Debt, you know, uh, the next Aftermath book. I think part of that book is going to be about Chewie and Han. Um, yeah. So, and then... Yeah, and then the the other one is Empire's End, which uh, seems to be very much uh, reminiscent of. Obviously, there was an old comic named that, but a terrible uh, maybe old comic it's, by Dark Horse. Yeah, Comics maybe it's called the Empire's furthering End. of um, the storyline we got in um, Lost Stars, that Battle of Jakku, where things seem to come to a close for the Empire itself, and maybe the formulation of you know, the first order. Yeah. So again, uh, just a lot of things. So right here, John, if you had to rate this, is there a rating that's good enough? I, you know, wow. I I don't know. Um, it, for a comic book, I would say that uh, on my scale would be, my scale would be uh, bad, entertaining, enjoyable, uh, stellar, or must read. And for this... I would give it a stellar for non-Star Wars fans and a must-read for Star Wars fans. I like it. I I don't have anything to add to that. So, um, which I think Bar if tabs we were on translating you. it numerically, it would be five Naboo fighters, which is a perfect rating. Uh, th- okay, there you go. Yeah, five Naboo fighters. I like that. <laughs> You know, I actually, I think the Naboo fighter makes a, a very nice, uh, you know, little uh, concept icon in, in, to replace stars. Let, let's uh, let's start uh, campaigning all of the critics to rate everything as Naboo fighters. I like that. Ah, they're so beautiful anyway. I agree. So, I mean, the, the design of, of anything in Naboo is, is gorgeous. Uh, and anytime we get to use their technology again, I'm always excited. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm completely there with you. So I'm glad we got a, talk, a chance to talk about this. I hope everybody will read them and, and then get it back to us on the Babel Conference. Uh, that's our listeners-only discussion group. Uh, hit us up there. Just type Babel in the search field on Facebook or go to the discussion on the menu bar at trek.fm and you can join our group. It's for the listeners only. And we love having conversations with you. We love catching up with you. So uh, if you'd also like to send us an email at the 602 Club, go to trek.fm slash contact. You can choose to show the, the 602 Club, and that'll come to me. I'll make sure John gets a copy of it as well, and we'll answer any questions that you have about Shatter Empire or anything else that we're doing here on the network uh, to any of our shows. So we love hearing from you guys. Of course, uh, we're doing, with the special Star Wars feed right now, we're doing a review contest, and I was able to pick up a extra copy of the Darth Vader and Ahsoka 2-pack of action figures. And I'd love to give that away to people for writing a review and rating us in iTunes. So just go to iTunes and rate the 602 Club Star Wars special feed and review it. I can only... Uh, you know, have the written reviews be the ones that are entered because that gives me the name of the of the person that, that wrote the review. And I really appreciate all that have already done that. And I'd love to give this away to, to somebody. So go and do that. I'm really trying to also just get that feed off the ground. Uh, like you all helped me so much with the ratings for the 602 Club feed. And I really appreciate that. I had a great time with Scott Gilbert being on the show because he was the winner there. Uh, 
we're ending this contest in December, December 1st. So we have all throughout November to get those reviews and star ratings in and help us out that way. I really appreciate you guys. Uh, also, too, just hit the subscribe button here, there in Apple. Definitely helps us out as well. Uh, you can do that on both feeds and... Um, Really appreciate all of you people for helping us out with way. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered. You can find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And, of course, you can stream and download that MP3 file from the website at trek.fm and grab the RSS link as well. Uh, big, huge thanks to our associate producers here on the 602 Club. Appreciate these guys and all that they do for making sure that this show comes to you each week. Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, amazing guys. I love having them as supporters here through patreon and what they did through patreon was really cool they understood that we're a listener supported network and that we really need your help to make sure that all of these shows keep coming to you and one of the coolest things is that because you support us it means we just get to bring you content we don't have shows littered with ads or anything like that when you tune into a trek fm show you know you're going to get great content and only the content so if you'd like to help all of these shows keep coming to you each week, just visit patreon.com slash trekfm. We've got the new patron zone at patron.zone for anyone $5 or more a month. It's a great place. You get the shows early. You get some fun ringtones that Christopher Jones has made. We've got wallpapers and so much more for you there. And if you're $25 or more, you can be on the Patreon roundtable with us every month, which is listeners coming in who are at that level as well as hosts from around the network just getting together to talk fun things about Star Trek. So we hope you'll join us through patreon.com slash trekfm. Well, John, before I let you get out of here from the 602 Club, I know you have some great podcasts that I want everybody to be aware of so they can be listening to. Uh, and, of course, where they can find you online if they want to talk some Star Wars or anything else. Well, thank you, sir. You can also find me uh, elsewhere on the Trek FM network co-hosting Commentary Trek Stars with uh, the inimitable Mike Schindler. And actually, we were talking about uh, some uh, interviews uh, w when we first started uh, this episode. Uh, we recently spoke with Eric A. Stilwell, uh, one of the, uh, the driving forces behind the terrific episode Yesterday's Enterprise. And so uh, be sure to stop by Commentary Trek Stars uh, because it was a thrill and a joy to speak to him as he went through the process of how he came to work on Star Trek and also how uh, the episode that we all know as Yesterday's Enterprise came into being. It was really fascinating to listen to. Uh, and you can also find me on a weekly podcast called Words with Nerds that I co-host with my friend Craig. We have a, a great time doing that. We cover sort of a scattershot approach to uh, geek and nerd news, as we call it, where, you know, we sort of hit on every corner uh, from every aspect. And uh, I am also a reviewer on a site called showvote.com, uh, where I'm giving my reviews uh, right now of the Star Wars Rebels season that's underway. And you can find me on Twitter at Kessel Junkie, roaming around and uh, offering what I feel are, are witty musings on the world. And they are. So everybody be well, sure to you. check out all those things. In fact, I really do want to plug you writing on Showvote because oh, I'm really you. enjoying 
your reviews of the Rebels episodes every week. So if Thank you, you guys are out there and you're wanting uh, just some thoughts on the Rebels episodes, check out John's reviews because they're they're in-depth as always. And uh, you pointed out some really interesting things actually with your last review that got my head turning so and spinning. So, <laughs> Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me on Instagram at MRushing. I do The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk about Deep Space Nine exclusively. And as John was nice enough to mention, we just got the opportunity two weeks in a row, had some amazing interviews with Aaron Eisenberg and Michael Dorn. So do check those out. I've got Literary Treks with Dan, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek, which was a lot of fun because we get to dive into all of those things through the Star Trek literary universe and interview the authors. So if you kind of want the behind the scenes of the latest books that are coming out, you're going to want to check us out. We have a lot of fun there. And then I have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. I appreciate you for joining us, and may the Force be with you. Thank you.